Today's scripture reading will be from Numbers 26, 59. The name of Aram's wife was Joshbed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Aram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. Good morning. We're very thankful for your presence this morning. Has anyone ever had a job interview virtually, meet on Zoom or something like that, or just office meetings in general? Yes? I'd like you to imagine someone having an interview with you. This group said they did a, a fake job posting, but they conducted real interviews. And so the people on the other side thought that they were going to get this job that was being discussed. And imagine for a moment you're that person. The interviewer began by telling them the job title. He said, right now we're calling it director of operations. He said the requirements for this job are our mobility, must be able to work standing, constantly standing up, Constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself. Need to have a high level of stamina. Now, how long do you need to do that? He, they, they, he said uh, 135 hours, unlimited basically, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that garnered the first comment. Someone said, I'm sure you will have time to sit down from time to time. His answer was, you mean like a break? They said, yes. He said, no. There are no breaks available. Somebody said, is that even legal? He said, yes, yes, it's legal. Follow-up question was, you can't have lunch. He says, yes, you can have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Three people declined the position at that moment. For those who continued, there were other requirements shared. He said, this position requires excellent negotiation skills. We're looking for someone with excellent interpersonal skills. You might have a degree in medicine, finance, and the culinary arts. Must be able to wear several hats. The associate needs constant attention. Sometimes you have to be able to stay up with an associate the entire night. You have to be able to work in a chaotic environment. If you had a life, we ask you to give that life up. <laughs> no vacation. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, the workload is going to go up. And we demand that you do this with a happy disposition. Some of the comments from that began with, that's cruel. This is a sick, twisted joke, isn't it? One of the questions was, well, what about time to sleep? Answer was, no, no time to sleep. The comment was, that's all encompassing. The answer is, yes, that's right. Comment was like, 365 days, the answer was yes. The response, no, no, that's inhumane. That's, that's insane. Another response was, his response to that was, the meaningful connections you make and the feelings you get from helping your associate are immeasurable. They said, what about pay? The position is going to pay absolutely nothing. Someone said, excuse me? 
Another one said, no, no, nobody's going to do that for free. He said, yes, completely pro bono. And then he said, what if I told you there's someone who holds this position? Billions of people. They said, who? And he said, moms. There was a pause in the response. And then those interviewed began to say, oh, yes, that's right. Another said, you got me thinking about my mother. He said, well, what are you thinking about her? And they said how she was always there for me all those nights. Someone just said, mom, I love you. Another said, I want to thank you, mom. A third tears flowed from her face as she said, my mom is just awesome. She's awesome. What a wonderful day Sunday is. We get to sing, we get to pray, we get to give, commune with our God, but ultimately we get to study his word and learn about him. And this morning, we get to thank him for a great part of his creation, women who became mothers. Happy Mother's Day. We should note that all, not all mothers give birth to children. Some adopt. Some, as Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.10, some bring up children, but they're all mothers. This morning, we want to focus on a mother in Scripture, a loving mother. That's our title. Her name is Jochebed. We'll find her in Exodus chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, join me there, and we'll study a little bit about Jochebed and how she loved her son and what it caused her to do. The first thing that stands out about Jochebed and her son is that she prized him. She valued him. Notice, let's begin at chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. There's our word. She prized, she valued him, she saw him. But there's more to it than simply that. The Bible says that he was a goodly son. That's how the King James says it. Others says she saw that he was good. In defining the word and the idea, one, one, one writer said, combine these words means surround the house. The house is surrounded by grace and beauty and love and health and prosperity, something that is functional. That's what the word good means, something that functions properly. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, the Hebrew writer in the King James says he was proper. That's what they saw. The same word in Acts chapter 7 and verse number 20 where Stephen is preaching their history and talks about Moses, and there it says he was exceeding fair. Word means the, the idea of belonging to a city, well-bred, those New Testament words, polite, polished, hence elegant, fair, calmly, or beautiful. We might say she saw something in him. It just wasn't his physical beauty that she saw. When she saw him, saw him, all of those ideas are behind that word, saw, beautiful, calmly, proper, Mothers see things in their children that others sometimes simply can't see. Thomas Edison was sent home with a note from his teacher. 
And she said, he's hopeless. His mother wrote back, you don't understand my son. I'll teach him myself. How'd she do? Mothers see something in their children. I say that because of point number two. Jochebed protected her son. She didn't just prize or value him. He's not simply a beautiful baby. No, she saw more, and that's what moved her to protect. Notice verse 2 again and how the two ideas are connected. The verse says, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that, he was a fine child. When she saw that, she hid him three months. What she saw in her son moved her to put her life at risk for her son. Acts chapter 7 and verse 19, and coincidentally, these accounts and these events are talked about in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7, as well as Hebrews chapter 11. And in both places, and as we move backwards and forwards, here is what Stephen says. At a time when, speaking of Pharaoh, verse 19 of Acts 7, he says, he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. In that dynamic and in those moments, the Bible says she hid him. She put herself at risk for hiding her son. What would become of a couple or a family if they were found out to be concealing a child that Pharaoh wanted dead? Pharaoh had commanded that all of the babies be put to death. But loving mothers do this. They protect their children. In fact, they're willing to give their lives for their children, and many do. She was courageous. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23 says of her, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. A woman by the name of Stephanie Decker protected her eight-year-old son, Dominic, and her five-year-old daughter, Reese, from a tornado. What did she use to protect them? Her own body. The children survived without a scratch because Decker never let go of them, even while she lost both her legs in the twister. Decker was 37. Her family were smack dab in the middle of a tornado. She said, I assumed. She said, it was nothing I expected. I never, ever thought in a million years my house would be swept away. She said, I assumed I was safe, and I heard the roar like a train. I heard it behind me, and I knew it was coming. It was so loud that I knew that I needed to do something different. I knew staying put wasn't going to work, and so she acted. She dashed down into her home's basement with her son and her daughter, and as the house began to disintegrate, she tried to shield them with a comforter. Her daughter said, Mommy, I don't like this. She said, I know, honey. I could see the wind. I could see the window blew out and the house burst. She was crushed under the cascade of debris. She said, I remember the whole thing. I stayed conscious the whole time. I couldn't afford to pass out. They needed me. They had to have me. So I had to figure out a way and something to do. Both her legs were smashed. She also suffered a punctured lung. But her children were unscathed. Mothers don't need prompting to protect their children. It's just what they do. That's what Jacobed did. 
Her son's life was threatened by the Pharaoh. Put him to death. Expose your children so we can kill them. She was not afraid of the king's edict. And so she protected her son and put her own life in peril. Brings us to number three. She provided for her son. What must it have been like for a mother to make that basket, to put her child, infant, in it and to put it in the reeds. Verse number three says, but when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch, and then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. It certainly gives you some insight into her forethought. She must have known where the, the Pharaoh's daughter would come to bathe. She must have known that. She put him there in the reeds in a basket. She hid him as long as she could. She tried to keep him protected. She made him secure. She put him inside of a basket she made for him. More than that, she planned for him. Notice verse number four. She sent his sister. Her sister his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Sometimes older sisters are like second mothers. They can whoop you. I know that first. <laughs> I know that first thing. She said to sister, and she watched. Jacobed and Amram did pretty well with their parenting. You know their children, Miriam, prophetess, Aaron, first high priest, and Moses, the lawgiver, those are theirs. It's Miriam who is watching over her brother. She prepared for him. Number four, she made herself plebeian for him. It's not a word I use every day. I just kind of like the way it sounds. <laughs> but it sure fits her, makes the point. Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe. That's what verse number five says. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and brought, she brought it to her. Pharaoh's daughter came she identified what was in the basket, or rather, who was in the basket. Verse number 6 says, when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. She had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. It says something about us, that even in the midst, what's the backdrop that's going on? In her house, it's her father who has made the demand and the edict to kill all of the Hebrew babies. In that house, his daughter sees a baby and wants to be a mother to that baby. This is one of the Hebrews' babies. And she pulls him out of the water. Back to his mother and this word, plebeian. It means of or belonging to a characteristic of commoners. Unrefined or coarse in nature or manner, common or vulgar. Synonyms include paltry or pitiful or poor. I'm saying all these nice things about Jochebed. Why would you say that? Because she, she is that by her own making. What do you mean? Look there in chapter 2 and notice what happens next. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Oh, I don't know what it's like to be a mother. I hear stories, though. I hear stories about the love. I hear stories about the connection. Can you imagine 
watching your child become somebody else's son? She's not his anymore. No, she's just a hired hand. She says in verse number 9, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, she's talking to Jochebed, and she said, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. She didn't say, he's mine, not yours. She didn't say, who do you think you are? No, the Bible says she took him and nursed him. She's a spectator in Moses' life, a paid laborer. I don't know about the milestones. He learned to walk, maybe to talk. In fact, she can't keep him. After the days where Moses is weaned, she brought him back. Verse number 10, the child grew. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. It's interesting as you keep reading that verse, the rest of it says, and she named him Moses. That she is not Jochebed. I don't know if she gave her son a name, but it wasn't Moses. Because his mother, his adopted mother, Pharaoh's daughter named him while Jochebed stood by. She said, she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. What humility it must have took. What love on her behalf and protection of her son, care for her son. She was so secondary, so, dare I say it, plebeian, so in the background, so calm and so vulgar. Why? She loved her son so much so that she didn't matter. But she had some time with him. And in that time, she prepared him. Chapter 2, beginning in verse number 9, and this is one of the common occurrences in the Bible. You're reading along, going along, and suddenly there'll be a time lapse, and that's what happens here. Verse number 9, she took the child and nursed him. Verse number 10, the child grew. She brought him to Pharaoh. And verse number 11 says, now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up. Moses is now 40 years old. He's a grown man. Between verse 9 and verse number 11, 40 years are gone by. What part did she have in his life? How much of a deal? Actually, she brought him back when he was weaned. She gave him over. 40 years later, Stephen says with regards to that time and in these events, Acts 7 and verse 22, Moses was schooled in all of the ways of the Egyptians. To look at Moses, you would have, well, for all practical purpose, seen an, an Egyptian, not a Hebrew. Two events happen within this time frame, and then two more happen, just descriptive of Moses. Now, they're found here, they're expanded upon in Stephen's sermon. One of those things is Moses protected an Israelite. That's chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. But here's what Stephen says about it in Acts 7, 23 to 25. Stephen says, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. 
He supposed that his brothers would have understood that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Moses saw an Egyptian wronging a Hebrew, and he killed him. He hid him. Moses didn't simply do that. Another incident is in the very next section, and that is Moses was a peacemaker. He sought to make peace. Acts 7, 26 to 29, Stephen says, and on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wrong in his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled, became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Sometimes when you and I are just reading through the Bible, the events just go on. Forty more years has elapsed. Moses became the deliverer. Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse number 30, Stephen says, Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he drew near to look, there came a voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. This would be Exodus 3 now. The Lord said to him, take off your sandals from off your feet, for the place you're standing on is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their groaning, and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. The fourth thing that's noteworthy about Moses is that Moses was a type of Christ. That's Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, verses 35 to 37. Stephen says, this Moses, with emphasis on the this Moses, this one, it may have been other people with the name, but he wanted them to understand it was this particular Moses the same thing occurs in Acts chapter 2, where the apostles frequently say, this Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus. Other people may have had the name Jesus, but you didn't with wicked hands crucify him. No, it was this Jesus that God raised. It was this Jesus that ascended. It was this Jesus. Stephen says it was this Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both a ruler and a redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your brothers. You can see the similarities and the type of which he is of Christ. God sent Moses. God sent Christ. God sent Moses to his people. God sent Christ to his people. Israel rejected Moses. Israel rejected Christ. Moses delivered his people. Christ delivered humanity. Moses gave the law written with the finger of God. Jesus gave the law. You can go on and on and on noting these similarities between Moses and God or Christ. He was a type of Christ. It's noteworthy that Moses had two godly parents. And I say that because it's the way the Hebrew writer talks about it. 
In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, the Hebrew writer says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he, the child, was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I tell you that because it was their faith, ultimately, that led to Moses' faith. They were moved by their faith to hide their son. He was moved by his faith to no longer be called Pharaoh's son, Pharaoh's daughter's son. They didn't fear the king. Moses didn't fear the king. They saved him. He saved his people. Putting the two accounts together, it seems to be the case that his parents were united, faithful, and courageous in their love and activity for their son. But it seems that his mother maybe was delegated to do the business of saving him. Why? Because Exodus 2, beginning in verse 1, says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months and when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket and made a bulrush and daub that would bid to him and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Well, they must have been together. She must have been delegated to get it done. Read a lot this week about mothers. Certainly thankful for mine. I know you are for yours. Some of those thoughts I'll share with you. A teacher asked a boy a question. She said, suppose your mother baked a pie and there were seven of you, your parents and five children. What part of the pie would you get? She was teaching fractions. He said, a sixth. She said, I'm afraid you don't know your fractions, said the teacher. Remember, there are seven of you. He said, yes, teacher, but you don't know my mother. Mother would say she didn't want a piece of pie. A man by the name of G.K. Chesterton over 100 years ago asked, can anyone tell me two things more vital to the race than these? What man shall marry what woman? And what shall be the first things taught to their first child? Chesterton goes on to comment that the daily operations surrounded her with very young children who needed to be taught not so much anything, but everything. Babies, he continued, need not to be taught a trade, but to be introduced to a world. To put the matter shortly, a woman is generally shut up in a house with a human being. At the time when he asks all the questions that there are and some that there aren't, our race has thought it worthwhile to cast this burden on women in order to keep common sense in the world. A teacher gave her class of second graders a lesson on the magnet and what it does. The next day in a written test, she included this question. My full name has six letters. The first one is M. I pick up things. What am I? When the test papers were turned in, the teacher was astonished to find that almost 50% of her students answered the question with the word mother. A little boy forgot his lines in a Sunday school presentation. His mother was in the front row to prompt him. She gestured and formed the word silently with her lips, but it did not help. Her son's memory was blank. 
Finally, she leaned forward and whispered the cue, I am the light of the world. The child stepped back and beamed, and with great feeling and a loud voice said, my mother is the light of the world. You know, we're talking about a godly, loving mother this morning. And we're certainly thankful for what God has done in his world. But friends, as you're reading the Bible, never read it. Never read it without understanding that in the background is God moving his plan forward to bring the Christ to save humanity. And as you will read it, what you will find in his providence that God oversaw. He didn't have to manipulate people. He didn't have to trick or force people. He allowed people to make decisions, and then he and his providence would work it out for his cause. At some point, there was a tyrannical king demanding that babies be killed. And the godly mother, and we trust with her husband, said, no, see something in this child. They couldn't have known what we now know so readily. That child was Moses, and his mother's love didn't have to know what he would become. Her love was protecting what he was to her. But you know, for mothers, that just might as well be Tuesday. It's just what they do. Thank God for women who become mothers and bless the world. Not a Christian this morning. This work of God is ultimately to bring Christ so you can come to heaven with him. We pray that your godly mother has had a role in helping you understand that. Would you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God this morning? Would you change your heart and your mind? The Bible calls it repentance. Don't live for you. Live for Jesus. Would you confess his name? Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins and let God through Jesus save you. Friends, if you've never done that, we beg you this morning, give your life to God while you still have time. If you are his child and you've lived in a way that's not pleasing to him, if you have a godly mother, I know her prayer this morning is that you would come home and get right with God. The pressures of mothers and their love and their influence, apparently even the traffic people think they have it because I read a sign the other day that said, does your mother know how you're driving? <laughs> if you're not right with God, Please come home and make things right. We can help you in any way. Please come as we stand and as we sing.